Well, hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm glad you found our podcast at dredhill.podbean.com. Recently, we started a new series in the Gospel of Matthew entitled Matthew's Messiah. And we're continuing today in Matthew chapter 5, and I invite you to join us here in this study. All right, so we're talking today about the episode that I'm calling Rehitching to Truth. Rehitching to Truth. And this is the episode for Sunday, August 1st, 2021. In recent months, a well-known megachurch multi-campus pastor said in a message that Christians need to unhitch from the Old Testament. Now, do you know why that might be said? Many say that same thing. Because truth is inconvenient, facts are stubborn things, and especially when they're Bible facts from the law of God and the prophets of God. In Isaiah 59, verse 14, Isaiah the prophet said, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Someone once said the first casualty of war is truth. Well, that's pretty obvious. You don't want to tell the enemy exactly where you're going to attack. But that's also true in daily life. In Matthew 5, Jesus Christ warns us not to unhitch from the Old Testament, but to understand the deepest meaning of the law. In the way we might say it today, Jesus doubles down on the Old Testament. And I'll allow a moment of silence for your Scooby-Doo moment right here. That's right. (laughs) Jesus does not say unhitch from the Old Testament. He says, let's go back there and let's understand its real meaning. Now today in 2021, nearly 100% of professing Christians have unhitched from the Bible, not just the Old Testament. Research has shown that the vast majority of church attenders, nearly 95% of people who say they are Christians, almost never read anything in the Bible. But even if they break their pattern of self-imposed spiritual starvation, I can assure you they are not going to be reading anything anytime soon in the Old Testament. So if you are really a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, and you are not taking in the Bible daily, even including the Old Testament and some type of reading plan throughout the year, then you need to repent and return to the Bible. But with the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, God himself indwelling us, we learn the deepest meaning of what we hear and read in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Now, I want to give you context for what we're going to read where Jesus teaches in the so-called Sermon on the Mount. Here's the context. The religious leadership, the Jewish religious leaders and the Jewish clergy, so to speak, the priesthood of the first century A.D., were great at reciting the Law and Prophets, but they were awful at living it. Also, 
they based what they taught on what dear old Dr. Hillel or the great Dr. Shammai taught about the Old Testament. It's complicated, but the the Talmud and the Midrashim, plural there, contained what they and others from antiquity taught about the Old Testament, what it said and what it meant. But let me help you with this here just a moment. Think about this. Have you ever made on a printer a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy? Pretty soon it's blurry and doesn't resemble the real thing very well. Or if you're like me and you're not that great at tools, maybe you're going to build something in the backyard, a doghouse. And so you start out like all carpenters say to do, what is it, measure twice and cut once. I always get that backwards. Maybe that's the problem. (laughs) But you do that. You measure twice and cut once. And after you get going, you think, oh man, it's so hard to measure every time. And you start using the last board you cut to measure the next board. You know what is going to happen. You know that in a short amount of time, the boards get longer and longer (laughs) because you're no longer going back to the standard of the tape measure. You're now copying the distance off the last board you cut. And you know how that goes. Now, Jesus Christ, as God himself in human form, actually authored the Old Testament, and he not only hitches us to it, but he explains its deepest meaning in order to reveal himself as the promised Messiah, King of Israel, and indeed of the world. Jesus, here in the Sermon on the Mount, does not rely on what someone else said about the Bible. He just tells us what he wrote through Moses and the prophets. Boom! That was revolutionary. It was absolutely unheard of. He refers to what they had heard the rabbis and scribes say, yes. But he does not quote 23 of their interpretations. He just says, this is the original meaning. Just like a modern day author might read his own book for an audio book, that's what we're going to hear right here in the Sermon on the Mount from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, For any of you who think that your religion or creed is living by the Sermon on the Mount, you are about to get nailed because you have no idea what you're talking about. But you will shortly begin to suspect the truth when we hear Jesus teach this. All right, we're going to see this in several sections. Here's the first one. Now, those of you who listen to my podcast know that I'm not big on you know, outlines and alliteration and everything's got a rhyme and all of that. That's not how the Bible's written. And it's not how Matthew wrote this down. So we're just going to take this a section at a time. And I've given a little question or title, something like that to each part. All right, this is Matthew 5, 21 to 26. Strap on your helmet, buckle that chin strap, put your seatbelt on because we're about to get to it. Now here's number one. Who's on your heart's hit list? What? Yeah. Who would you kill if you could get away with it? That's the question. Verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not kill. That word kill means murder. 
Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, in other words, you remember, hey, I've wronged my brother. Verse 24, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. So let's say you're at church, you're about to drop your offering in the offering plate. God says, I don't want it yet. I don't want it right now. You make it right with your brother, then you can give your offering, right? Then you're worshiping the right way. Verse 25, agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Now, what Jesus is saying here is that if, because we're born sinners, if we're not careful, we might not actually kill somebody, but in our heart, we wish we could. That's wrong. Who's on your heart's hit list? Are you still living by the Sermon on the Mount? Mm-hmm. How you doing? All right, here's the next passage. Getting down to the heart of the matter. Verses 27 to 30 in Matthew 5. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already, excuse me, committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Lord Jesus mentions hell a lot, doesn't he? Must be real. Yep. So he's saying that the whole idea of adultery goes to the heart because before someone ever commits that act, they've already committed it in their heart, right? Now how are we doing with the Sermon on the Mount is our religion and I live by the Sermon on the Mount. This hits everybody, getting down to the heart of the matter. The next one, verses 31 and 32 of Matthew 5. The right paperwork makes it right. Right? It's talking about divorce here. Verse 31. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Now, Moses said that. And we'll see later in Matthew 19, when the Lord goes into much greater detail about all of this, that Moses did that because the people were misusing that. Their hearts were so hardened 
that they were divorcing their wives and I guess they were being stoned to death. They were killed and Moses allowed a writing of divorcement, okay? If it hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Hey, want to get rid of your wife? Eh, you don't have to kill her. Just make sure the paperwork's all correct and you sign it, right? It's done. Now you can get rid of your older wife and get your trophy wife. It's all good. Moses said we could do that. That's not what Moses was talking about. Verse 32, but I say unto you, remember this is the author of the Old Testament who inspired Moses. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. That the point here is that the woman wasn't guilty. She would be publicly branded. And um, if, if somebody, uh, let's see, if somebody had the, married the wife of someone divorced like that, that was guilty, you follow me? Then they would be committing adultery. It was just a mess, just like today. I'm not going to go into great detail on divorce and remarriage here because the Lord Jesus Christ goes into that more in Matthew 19. And of course, and we'll see that. And of course, Paul goes into it in even greater detail in the uh, 1 Corinthians, I believe. So um, that's there. But the right paperwork doesn't make it right if it's wrong, right? We still live in by the Sermon on the Mount. Is that still a religion? Probably not at this point. Trust, but verify. We're reading here now in Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Again, you've heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. Neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Talking about himself, by the way. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. In other words, yes, yes, or no, no. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. In Shakespeare's writings, in one of his plays, he has a play within a play, and I think I'm getting this right. The queen in the play, yeah, I'm all twisted around now, never mind. But anyway, one of Shakespeare's characters says, the lady doth protest too much, methinks. Now, we've morphed that in modern times, and I've said it this way. Methinks he protested too much. Same thing. If someone assures you they're telling the truth, you trust me, would I lie to you? You know, that kind of thing. Or, this is one of my favorites, I swear on my mother's grave. And then you find out later he was raised by wolves. <laughs> Listen. If you have the right kind of character and you're the right kind of person, you can just answer a question straight out and the people that know you well will know that you've told them the truth. 
And if you're not the right kind of character and the right kind of person, it doesn't matter what you do, everybody knows you're lying. So just be the kind of person in your life and in your heart that, you know, the old saying, your word is your bond. Hey, if he said it, it's true. You know, that kind of thing. Or if he said it didn't happen, it didn't happen. That's the kind of person you should be. And remember, the lady doth protest too much, methinks. Don't be that guy or that gal. Because if somebody hears you say something and they know you are of dubious integrity, they're going to have the attitude, trust but verify. All right, I'm hearing you, but I'm going to check you out. The next section is Matthew 38 to 42. And I'm calling this mercy-infused justice. Now, back in Exodus 21, verses 23 to 27, Moses was inspired by God to give the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth passage. Even Roman law and the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in that time even Roman law had lex talionis, the law of retaliation, or, uh, you know, payback. But people, being like we are, turned this into a get-even-with-them-ism, a pretext for revenge. I think, as we're going to read here, that's backwards. Let's read this, verses 38 to 42. You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, what does that mean? Well, literally, it would mean if you put my eye out, I'm going to put your eye out. You knock my tooth out, I get to knock your tooth out. Well, yeah, if you want to go by the letter of the law and and be a revenge-filled person, I guess you're right. You've heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. The Roman soldiers could make a Jewish person carry their gear for one mile. Jesus says, go to Verse 42, give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow thee, turn not thou away. We are to have mercy-infused justice. Does there need to be justice? Absolutely. But we don't need to go nuts with it. The eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, it can be looked at this way. It's to restrict people, for example, saying, you knocked my eye out, now I'm going to kill you. Right? Right? And that's how a lot of people are. But that's not right. So let me give you an example of this. And I'm not saying I'm all that in a bag of chips because we did this. There have probably been times that I didn't do this. But this one comes to my mind, and, and I think it's a great example. And this would have been God working through me, and the other times it would have been where I was messing up and not bringing glory to God. All right, But in this story, um, I, somehow I actually did the right thing. All right, now, my wife and I used to have an air purifier business where you could purify the air in your home. 
And these these things work great. We still have them, by the way. They are they are great units. But as a uh, independent business person, I had to buy these, and then we you know wholesale basically, and then we would we would sell them at retail. And that's where our our profit, our living, would come from. So there was someone, uh, a woman out in the, a rural area, kind of, uh, outside a city, had a son who had major health issues, especially respiratory issues, and she was hoping against all hope that these might help her son. And we had advertised, uh, as the company did, that there was a free, no-obligation trial to see if it worked for you. So she got one. Well, it did. It worked great. But when it came time to pay or we pick it up, you know, as a demo unit, she just didn't have the money. You ever heard that song uh, by Chris Christopherson, made famous by Janis Joplin? Busted flat in Baton Rouge, waiting for a train. Well, this woman was busted flat where she lived. She had no resources, no money, nothing. But her son needed these, and she kept she kept kind of dodging us. We couldn't pick them up. You know what? I just told my wife, I said, hey, let's just let her have it. Now, that cost us money, by the way. I don't remember how much. I don't, I don't know. It's not like four or $500, something like that. That cost us money, but we let her have it. And we slept really good that night, knowing that that, that, young, that child was actually being helped. Could we have taken her to court or called the sheriff's deputies or something? Sure. And we would have been in the right, absolutely. But we decided not to do it. And God's given us that back thousands of times over since then. We didn't lose a thing. And actually, without intending to, in that way, we actually helped somebody who needed it. That might be an example of that. And maybe you have one too. Or if you don't, maybe you need to listen to what Jesus said. All right. Verses 43 to 47. This is the last one. Love without limits. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if he love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Love without limits. See, the Jewish people, and especially the religious people this time, had this down cold. Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. That was okay. Like, uh, I've got my little circle of people who are within that. If they're in my circle, we're good. But if you're outside my circle, I'm gonna uh, bring it with malice, baby. I'm gonna hate you do you wrong, try to mess you over, and it's just going to be war between you and me. <laughs> Some people have that relationship with their boss, with their their family, um, with their co-workers, you know, neighbors, 
just fill in the list. What a hard way to live. He hath heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. You know, Jesus says, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Have you ever been, I'm going to say it like we say it in the South, have you ever been cussed out? It is not pretty. But you know what? If, if you'll just receive the grace from God and say, I hear you, I, I kind of understand how you feel, God bless you, and walk away, uh, you're going to end the fight that could, could come. I mean, literally. Do good to them that hate you, Jesus says. Do what? When you have a chance to do somebody wrong, do the right thing. But they hate me. That's his point. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. See, you don't have to be a gullible, naive individual. You can say, I've got their number. And you know, you, you know, you get it. You understand exactly where they're coming from, who they are, what they're like, and what they're doing. But you don't have to get down on their level. As a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, you can become one and learn how not to do that. Now, why should we do that? Well, it's, A, it's right because Jesus says it's right. But verse 45, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his sun to shine on, arise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. We all need sunshine and rain for food so we can eat. And everybody gets it, whether they're just or unjust, evil or good, right? We should be like that toward other people. But they don't believe like I believe. I know, that's the point. Treat them like Jesus would treat them. And he says at the end of that, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Now, I'm pretty sure at the end of Matthew 5, and we're only one chapter into the Sermon on the Mount, most of you who are trying to live by the Sermon on the Mount have get up, given up in utter desperation and frustration, which is great. That's exactly where you should be if Jesus is not in your life. You can't do this in your own power. You need Christ living in you, and he does it through you. If you want to know more about that, you can call 877-247-2426. 877-247-2426. With Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can know for certain how your eternity will turn out. And instead of following Satan and being condemned to an eternal hell with him, you can follow Jesus Christ and be welcomed into heaven and an eternity with God. Well, I'm a little shy about calling that number, Pastor Ed. Then do this. Go to chataboutjesus.com. Chataboutjesus.com. Well, listen, I'm so happy that you joined us on our podcast today. I hope that it's meant a great deal to you as you thought about these sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ as he gives the deepest interpretation of his Old Testament law in those examples. And you realize there's no way you can do this on your own and you need Jesus Christ. Maybe for believers who are listening, you're realizing, you know, 
I pretty much unhitched not only from the Old Testament, from the whole Bible. You need to rehitch to truth, to the Word of God. That is the right thing to do. Hey, listen, I need your help. I want you to subscribe or follow this podcast right where you're listening. And also, right where you're listening, share it right now with someone that needs to hear this message. Share where they can listen to this very episode at dredhill.podbean.com. I look forward to speaking with you again on the next podcast. I pray that you will have a great week in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bye-bye.